Before we get started, a quick little note. Uh, most of this episode is, I re- is what I recorded here a couple weeks ago, a month ago, for my 12th episode of Head Speaks. I added some stuff on the very end, and the audio changes a little bit. You can hear the change in it. Uh, too tired to play with it. Want to get this done, so there's a slight change. It's, you can still hear it, and everything's fine. It's just the sound quality is a little different. Also, a couple times near the beginning, I refer to IDW Comics is IWD because my dyslexia kicked in and I got it mixed up. Uh, other than that, uh, sit back and enjoy the Zero episode of G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Welcome to the newest addition to the Headcast family. This is G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about G.I. Joe and its history, my connection to G.I. Joe, and we're just going to introduce you to the love of G.I. Joe. Here we go, kids. There's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is American hero. G.I. Joe is there. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, the real American headcast, is the code name for Aaron's daring. Highly trained headcast. Its purpose? To podcast about G.I. Joe, Fighting Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. He gives up, he'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. Welcome to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. My name is Aaron Moss, and I'll be your host. On this mostly monthly podcast, I plan on covering the Marvel Comics, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, and IWD's comic of the same name. Also, the special missions and the yearbooks, quite possibly the G.I. Joe versus Transformers and the Order of Battle. And we'll also take a, a little look at some of the toys, possibly, the cartoons, the movie news, uh, anything G.I. Joe related. But again, our main focus is going to be on the Marvel Comics uh, from the 80s, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, and then the IWD, A Real American Hero, where they've picked it up here recently. Uh, so go ahead and strap yourselves in and hold on, kids. In this first episode, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the comics, toys, cartoons, the movies, a little history of G.I. Joe, uh, why I'm doing this podcast, why I love G.I. Joe, just a little bit about G.I. Joe in general. But as I say, no man is an island, so I'm going to be doing this podcast. I'd like to hear from you guys. Let me know what you think. Go ahead and send me an email to yojo, that's one word, y-o-j-o-e, at headspeaks.com, h-e-a-d-s-p-e-a-k-s, dot c-o-m. And if you prefer to send in an mp3 with your ramblings on it, feel free. I can play that on the air. Uh, but the most important thing is to uh, get involved. Let me know what you think. Uh, give me your feelings, your thoughts. Uh, reach out to me, guys. That's what I'm here for. Also, just a little more about me. I have two other headcasts. My original one is called Head Speaks, where I talk about comics, movies, uh, things that interest me, uh, just whatever comes up in my mind. And then I have my Task Force X headcast, which is uh, where I cover... John Ostinger's Suicide Squad comics, and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate comics uh, from the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, both of those, again, are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and on my website, headspeaks.com, and they're both available uh, mostly monthly, uh, when I can. Uh, for more personal information about me, definitely check out Headspeaks. Uh, besides comics and movies and what have you, I do talk about myself on there. I'm going to save this podcast for the most important thing I'm going to be talking about, G.I. Joe. But uh, before we get to our first, started on our uh, first conversation for the day, 
I'm going to go and play some advertisements from some other great podcasts. Uh, sit back, check them out, and uh, I'll be right back with you. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Hey, listeners, it's Ryan Daly here to give you an exciting sneak peek at the Secret Origins podcast, a review show dedicated to the post-crisis Secret Origins comics. Secret Origins told or retold or occasionally reimagined the origins of many of DC's legendary superheroes, including Superman, Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Jonah Hex, Nightwing, Plastic Man, Batgirl, Blackhawk, Black Lightning, Booster Gold, Detective Chimp, The Legion of Superheroes, and a hundred others. But I won't be alone in my coverage of these epic stories. I'm bringing the best and brightest and irredeemablest guest stars from the blogosphere and podcast community, such as Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. I think this is a great idea for a podcast, and I wish I thought of it first, but it's in good hands. Chris and I are going to be reviewing the first issue of Secret Origins, which tells the story of the Golden Age Superman. And now, Chris, I don't know if this has ever come up before on your own show, but would you say you're much of a Superman fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am definitely a Superman fan. Uh, Superman, the movie, is still my favorite movie of all time. That's my Star Wars I don't remember a time when I didn't know who Superman was. Tim Wallace from Court Industries, a blog devoted to Blue Beetle. My friends, my close friends, would probably tell you that Aquaman was my favorite hero, and they wouldn't be too far off from the truth, but there was already a pretty decent blog covering Aquaman, so I went for my number two, which was which was Blue Beetle. And this issue actually has a lot to do with uh, why he's one of my favorites. Luke Giaconetti from the Hawkman blog being Carter Hall in the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. Thank you for having the, the enthusiasm to talk about Halo, because this is not a character that I know much about. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the oddballs in that I'm an Outsiders fan who doesn't like the Teen Titans. So <laughs> I, I figure I'm, I'm pretty much required to do my, my, uh, you know, my due diligence in defending the members of the Outsiders team, especially one of the originals. Siskoid from Siskoid's Blog of Geekery and the Hero Points podcast. One of the subjects I keep returning to is Golden Age superheroes. I like exploring the, the history of comics, and especially DC Comics, which has the biggest load of, uh, of Golden Age heroes. In Secret Origins is full of these because Roy Thomas wrote, um, you know, half the series or so, and just like he wrote a lot of Golden Age heroes and brought Golden Age heroes to the um, to our attention in the '80s, which was when I started reading comics. And of course, Rob Kelly from the Fire and Water podcast. The plan was all this time. Once we finished Who's Who, we were going to do the Secret Origin series. That was our next ga- our next uh, big project, and you have swooped in and stolen it, and I'm just saying, you better not screw this up. I mean, you're on episode four, and you brought in your biggest guest star yet, but from here, if it's just downhill, I'm going to be really ticked off that you ruined our idea. Mm, I wasn't really listening to any of that. Plus more incredible guests, including Sean Engel, Chad Bokelman, Kyle Benning, Nathaniel Wayne, Paul Scavito, Greg Araujo, Tom Paneris, Doug Zawissa, Aaron Moss, Alan Middleton, Max Romero, Gene Hendricks, Stella, Ange, Diablo Frank, and possibly even more. Join us as we uncover the secret origins of all your favorite DC heroes, except for Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, and Supergirl, and the Huntress, and Red Tornado, and Mira, and Aqualad, and Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, and Wildcat, and Metamorpho, and Geoforce, and Mr. Terrific... The Secret Origins Podcast. I definitely recommend checking out the Secret Origins Podcast. I've listened to the first episode. It was great. It talked about Superman. Um, Ryan plans on covering the entire 50 issues plus the annuals, I believe, of that run. Uh, definitely check it out. Especially check out episode, I think it's probably going to be 14. Uh, it's Secret Origins Issue 14, The Suicide Squad. He's going to have a great co-host on that one, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I'm supposed to show up on that episode, so definitely check out Secret Origins. But enough about Ryan and his Secret Origins podcast. Uh, let's continue off my G.I. Joe. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is, well, 
the main thing we're here for, the comics. All this information I'm going to give to you came from Wikipedia. Some of this I knew already. Uh, some I found out from Wikipedia. Uh, so sit back, take a listen to the history of the G.I. Joe, the comics. G.I. Joe, a real American hero, is a comic book that was published by Marvel Comics from 1982 to 1994. Based on Hasbro Inc.'s G.I. Joe, a real American hero line of military-themed toys, the series has been credited for making G.I. Joe into a pop culture phenomenon. G.I. Joe was also the first comic book to be advertised on television in what has been called a historically crucial moment in media convergence. The series was written for most of the 155-issue run by comic book writer, artist, and editor Larry Hama. It was notable for its realistic, character-based storytelling style, unusual for a toy comic at the time. Hama wrote the series spontaneously, never knowing how a story would end until it was finished, but worked closely with the artist, giving them sketches of the characters and major scenes. While most stories involved the G.I. Joe team battling against the forces of Cobra Command, an evil terrorist organization, many also focused on the relationships and background stories of the characters. Hammett created most characters in collaboration with Hasbro and used a system of file cards to keep track of the personalities and fictional histories of the characters, which later became a major selling point for the action figure line. G.I. Joe was Marvel's top-selling subscription title in 1985 and was receiving 1,200 fan letters per week by 1987. It's a whole lot. The series has been credited with bringing in a new generation of comic book readers since many children were introduced to the comic book medium through G.I. Joe and later went on to read comics. That's me also. We'll get that a little bit later on. The series was so popular with women because it featured so many strong female characters. The comic book has been reprinted several times and has been translated into multiple languages. In addition to direct spin-offs of the comic books, several revivals and reimaginings have been published throughout the 2000s. So that's the backstory on G.I. Joe. Now let's get a bit of its history. Hasbro noted Star Wars popularity, so they relaunched, relaunched G.I. Joe as a 3.75-inch figures instead of the old 12-inch figures. They talked to Marvel President about doing some backstories. Larry Hama was working on a pitch for a Fury Force series. Uh, that would have been the son of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and his force that he was working on, uh, which he had ended up adapting into G.I. Joe. Hama did it because no one else wanted to. At the time when he was asked, he said, Heck, if they'd asked me to write Barbie, I would have done that too. I don't know if that's how Larry Hama sounded, but that's how he sounds in my head. Uh, anyways, Archie Goodwin, I believe he was an editor over at Marvel at the time, said that the enemy should be called Cobra Command, kind of like Hydra. Uh, the first issue was in June of 1982, and it had two stories in it, uh, which we'll get to next month. Uh, it introduced the pit, the original 13 members, Cobra Commander, and the Baroness. And just so you know, the comic uh, predated the toy by a little bit. Most of the stories were completed in one issue, what's what were called a one-and-done. Done in one? Whichever, you know. Uh, but there were some that were multi-part stories. Uh, after the first year, they started introducing subplots. I issue 11 introduced Destro and the 1983 toy line. It established a pattern of introducing the New Year's figures and vehicles. A highlight was issue 21, which is known as the silent issue, and issues 26 and 27, which is Sinkai's origin. Kama uh, considers issues 26 and 27 his favorite issues. Um, and you know what? I've got to agree with Larry. Uh, 26 and 27, the, the Snake Eyes Origins, that was a great two issues right there. That's probably one of my favorite issues of their run also. In 1986, issue 49 introduced the new character called Serpentor, which uh, was followed by the TV show. And issues 73 through 76 was another, in my opinion, great story arc. The Cobra War. The, Cobra, the battle for Cobra Island, which you'll hear about in the future sometime. Uh, most toy comics lasted only about two years. G.I. Joe lasted for 12. It was a huge success. In the 90s, the quality dropped a little bit and was canceled in 1994 with issue 155 uh, due to low sales. In fact, I have to agree. After issue, after the low 100s, the stories weren't as good. I don't know if Larry was getting burned out or what was going on, but 
In fact, I kind of drifted away from it around that point also. Uh, the toy line was canceled the same year, 1994. A quote from Larry Hama, the creator and father of G.I. Joe, as I said. It reached the end of its half-life. Until G.I. Joe and Transformers, toy books had a life expectancy of one to two years. Three years was considered a long time. Hasbro didn't expect the toy line to have much life in it. Also, the market changed completely. When I first started doing store signings, there were lines around the block, and it was all 10-year-old boys. The last time I did a store signing in New York City, everybody was over 30, and two of the guys who showed up were mailmen who had skipped off their routes to get their books signed. So, again, he... And I think what it was was a lot of the kids started reading the comic, and then they followed up with it and just kept reading it. And I know I did, though I was a teenager when I first found it, a late teenager, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, they were able to advertise the comic on TV, uh, which was allowed. Uh, in fact, it was the first comic book that was ever advertised on TV. And one reason they did that was because... Toys could only have 10 seconds of cartoon, of animation, whereas comics could use the entire 30 seconds of animation. So what they did was they advertised the comics, in air quotes, but they would feature all the toys, and so it's just a, a way for them to advertise their toy line and get around the whole, you only have 10 seconds of advertising, or of animation, in your ads. Yeah, that's my son Grayson, he's four months old, he's putting his two cents in on G.I. Joe. Um, moving on, G.I. Joe featured an ensemble cast with the original 13 characters being Hawk, Stalker, Breaker, Clutch, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, Rock and Roll, Steeler, Grand Slam, Flash, Short Fuse, Grunt, and Zap. This reflected their origins in the Hasbro toy line, with the initial characters being the same as the action figures in the original 1982 release of the toy line. The team roster expanded as additional action figures were released. Larry Hamm would go on to create new characters with Hasbro. Hasbro would send sketches and brief descriptions of the military specialties. Hamm would create the background cards, giving them life and character. Uh, Larry Hamm kept track of all the characters on file cards, which Hasbro apparently liked and then started using with the toys, which I'll get to in just a few minutes here. Uh, Larry Hamm based characters on people he knew. To him, continuity meant nothing. He was concerned more with the characters than uh, keeping track of continuity. And for, for having that mindset, in my opinion, I, I, I'll say right now, I think the comics did a pretty good job of keeping a continuity, but not being slavish to it. Because, again, he, he didn't really care too much about continuity. He was more worried about good characterization. So he did a good job, in my opinion. But we'll get to that. As far as spinoffs, uh, first there was the yearbook. It had articles about the cartoon, summary of the plot of the date, and a couple of short stories. It ran from 1985 until 1988. Uh, they came out yearly, for the most part. Uh, in 1986, we saw a new series called G.I. Joe Special Missions. It ran 28 issues. It came out at the same time as G.I. Joe Issue 50. Uh, Special Missions was more intense violence and more ambiguous morality. It basically focused on standalone missions with a small group of Joes, whereas the G.I. Joe American Hero proper was, uh, they told, didn't mind telling longer stories, had more of a cast to it. Uh, overall, again, I enjoyed the special missions. I thought it was a great series. And some issues did tie into the book. Uh, we'll get to that eventually. And then there was the Order of Battle. It was four issues in 1986 and 1987. And basically, all it did was reprinted the file cards with a little bit more information on the characters. Issues 1 and 2 focused on the G.I. Joe members. Uh, issue 3 focused on Cobra. And Issue 4 fe featured the vehicles and some updates. And then it was collected in a trade paperback in 1987. Then there was G.I. Joe vs. Transformers. This was four issues. It came out in 1987. Uh, it was also collected in a paperback. The most important thing that came out of this uh, storyline has to do with Transformers. In the comic, G.I. Joe vs. Transformers, uh, Bumblebee was blown up and was rebuilt as Goldbug, which again carried over to the Transformers comic. As far as reprints, uh, the first 37 issues was reprinted in 13 digests of G.I. Joe magazine. There was also a comic called Tales of G.I. Joe, 
which ended up reprinting the first 15 issues. It had a higher quality paper stock. I think I actually bought some of these. I know I bought some of the uh, Digest. That's how I read a lot of the back issues before I actually bought them. I had a handful of the uh, Digest I bought. But again, we'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, there was also G.I. Joe European Missions, which was published monthly from June of 1988 until August 1989. The European Missions series are all reprints of the Action Force Monthly, which was basically a G.I. Joe that was published in the U.K. These were all original stories, and they were, they were not written by Larry Hama. Over in the U.K., what it was, they uh, took G.I. Joe, and they called it Action Force Monthly, and uh, they had some other writer writing on it. And so America decided to Marvel republished them under European missions. In 2001, Devil's Due had a four-issue limited series entitled G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, Reinstated. Uh, they had good sales, and they upgraded it to a regular series that lasted 43 issues, and then they canceled it and relaunched it as G.I. Joe, America's Elite, for 36 issues. Uh, the contract expired in... 2006, and it wasn't renewed. Uh, as far as G.I. Joe, the first 50 issues was published in trade paperback form with 10 comics per trade paperback with covers by J. Scott Campbell. Uh, and again, these were released by Devil's Due. Then in 2009, IDW republished the originals as classic G.I. Joe. Again, they had 10 per volume. And the last few collections had slightly more issues in order to conclude with the 15th paperback volume, which was published in August of 2012. Uh, they also reprinted the special missions and the annuals. So it looks like IDW published the entire run of G.I. Joe in uh, 15 volumes. So again, if you're looking to get into G.I. Joe, that may be the best way to go is through the IDW reprints of them, because they have the entire run. Uh, anyways, IDW then restarted G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, with issue number 155 and a half, and continuing on. And this was back in 2010, and they basically picked up the storyline from where it was at and carried on with it, which is still being published to this day. And again, I'll get to that once I get to issue 155. I plan on hitting 155 and a half and continuing on from there. But that's about the G.I. Joe comic. Uh, give me just one minute, and I'll be right back with you. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Kalabak, Tassad, it is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Dedrick, and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. 
This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall! Now, back to G.I. Joe. Now let's move on and talk about the toys for G.I. Joe. There, back in the 60s and 70s, G.I. Joe was a 12-inch toy. Action figure. Uh, <laughs> then it was reintroduced as a 3 and 3 quarter inch action figure that I mentioned earlier. Uh, how it happened was, uh, per Jim Shooter anyway, which was editor-in-chief at the time, he said the president or CEO of Hasbro was at a charity event that Marvel's president was also at. They ended up in the men's room, standing next to each other peeing. And I think that's how they met. They were talking about each other's respective business, and it came up that Hasbro wanted to reactivate the trademark on G.I. Joe, but they were trying to come up with a new approach. Marvel's guy was like, eh, we have the best creative people in the world. Let me bring this editor-in-chief of mine, and we'll fix it for you. And so the comic was born. Uh, Marvel had suggested doing some female toys and include them with the vehicles, but Hasbro didn't think they would sell on their own. Each figure came with a file card. It appears that Larry Hama wrote most of these. As I said earlier, apparently Larry Hama had used the file card idea for the uh, writing the comic. Hasbro heard about this or saw it and decided to uh, incorporate it into their action figures, give it a little more collectability. Uh, the overall premise for the toy line revolves around the elite counter-terrorist team codename G.I. Joe, whose main purpose is to defend human freedom from Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. In fact, if you watch the cartoons, they told you this every episode. Uh, Larry Hamm was given free reign by Marvel. Uh, Marvel Productions overspent on the cartoon. It was considered a critical success, but a financial disaster. In 1994, Hasbro transferred the toys to Kenner, canceling G.I. Joe, and they started something called the Sergeant Savage and his Commandos. In 2000, it was revived as the Real American Hero Collection. Uh, the previous molds were used and some names had to be changed due to copyright issues. In 2002, they relaunched it as G.I. Joe vs. Cobra. They had new designs and characters were introduced. Then we had the 25th anniversary toy line in 2007. Uh, a little more about the toys. Back in 1983, uh, they added the swivel arm. Before, previously, they could only bend at the elbow. After 83, they could actually swivel. Uh, the four series ball joints replaced the former swivel necks. Both the swivel arm and the ball joints gave the figures more posability and made them a better toy. Uh, there was various vehicles and playsets. They were based on or influenced by real or experimental technology. Uh, there was the G.I. Joe Sky Striker XP 14F fighter plane, which was based on the F-14 Tomcat. The Cobra Rattler, which has similarities to the A-10 Thunderbolt 2. The Dragonfly Attack Copter, which was nearly identical to the Bell AH-1 Cobra. The Cobra Night Raven SP, inspired by the Blackbird SR-71. And the Mobat, M-O-B-A-T, tank, which was modeled after the M-551 Sheridan. Uh, the missile... Sorry, the mobile missile system, MMS, playset was also strikingly similar to the MIM-23 Hawk surface-to-air SAM missile system. However, certain toys were completely original and in-story incorporated technologies that were unavailable at the time, such as the HAL laser artillery and the jump jetpack. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, each figure came with a file card. Uh, it did evolve over time, but basically it had a picture... An indication of allegiance, whether it was G.I. Joe, Cobra, uh, the Dreadnoughts, or whatever. Codename of the character, their function, their file name, which was their real name of the character, the social security number, primary military specialty, a secondary military specialty, birth plank, birth plank? I'm sorry, it was their birth place, their rank grade, and then a little paragraph detailing the background of the character, such as his or her education, upbringing, training, and then a quote from an unidentified source, usually giving the owner an idea of the character's personality. 
Now, the enemy characters had some information left off, usually leaving only the picture, a code name, function, and descriptive paragraph in the quote. The 1982 to 1984 file cards contained information on weapon specialties, but this was removed afterwards with due to concern that children may be given knowledge on firearms and the feeling that a character would only be limited to what he knows how to use. Uh, supposedly, Crystal Ball's card, which is one of the characters in 1987, was written by Mr. Stephen King himself. Uh, by 1988, the file cards no longer contained details about the education and focused more on the character's upbringing or what he or she did prior to joining the G.I. Joe team. In addition to regular information, this new design of card also included a listing of which vehicle the character is licensed to operate. This remained largely, largely unchanged until 1991. Some other toys of interest. Uh, back in 1985, they introduced the USS Flag, which was 7.5 feet long, which was probably, I think, the longest place at the time. It was humongous. Always wanted the flag, but I never got it. Uh, the Defiant Space Shuttle and Mobile Command Center came later on. And then they had Battle Force 2000, which was introduced at Christmas time. In 1989, they started pulling back on production due to lack of interest. They started focusing on gimmicks for figures instead of the vehicles. The line officially ended in 1980, or sorry, 1994. And that was it until 1997, when G.I. Joe returned in a limited Toys R Us exclusive line. The Real American Hero Collection, as it was called, included team packs of three figures, grouped together by a common theme, such as Commando and Cobra Command, and Mission Packs, which featured classic figures packed with a small vehicle, like a Cobra Flight Pod or a Silver Mirage Motorcycle. The Stars and Stripes box set was also released, featuring members of the original 13 Joes from 1982. The line continued as a Toys R Us exclusive in 1998. One of the rarest G.I. Joe figures, the so-called Pimp Daddy Destro, or PDD for short, was released in 1997 in the Cobra Command Team Pack. It was immediately replaced by a standardized version of the Destro figure. The PDD figure was named for the fact that it had a leopard print accent on Destro's legs and his famous open collar. Only a handful were released into the market, with only one verifiable version mint in box, and two loose versions known to be in existence. It is believed that the versions of PDD that made it to market were production examples production samples as opposed to true variants that were changed prior to release and thus were not meant to be seen by the public. Then there was the Real American Hero Collection from 2000 to 2002. In 2000, the Real American Hero Collection continued, this time in wide release. Figures were sold in two packs and continued using the original molds as well as the kit-based figures made from parts of various molds. The wide release of the Real American Hero Collection continued through 2001. In 2002, the line was limited to one wave, which is only available to online retailers. Also in 2002, a set called the Sound Attack 8-Pack was released as an exclusive to BJ's Wholesale Club and Fred Meyer stores. Then, in 2007 through 2009, there was the 25th Anniversary. Hasbro announced the release of G.I. Joe's 25th Anniversary Edition figures, which features figures primarily based on a real American hero designs, but with updated sculpting. The line continued through 2008 and 2009. And then in 2011, a new series of figures was released, including characters from G.I. Joe Renegades cartoon series and modernized updates of older characters. And that was the 30th anniversary, which ran from 2011 to 2012. Other products? In 1985, there was a serial based on G.I. Joe, was released called Action Star Serial. There were multiple versions of the serial box, each featuring a different character from the G.I. Joe collection drawn in an action pose. Among the characters pictured were Duke, Gung Ho, Shipwreck, and Quick Kick. The serial itself was a collection of oat and grain pieces shaped like hollowed out stars. The serial was said to have tasted like Captain Crunch. I don't remember this serial, so I can't really speak anything directly about that. There was a television commercial for the cereal, which depicted a little boy making his way to a bowl of cereal, led by the character Duke. After eating the cereal, the boy flies off in the air, following another G.I. Joe character named Starduster. Of interesting note to G.I. Joe fans and collectors, this was the only time that the action figure Starduster appeared in animated form. He was never part of the cartoon television series. 
Starduster was also featured in three out-of-continuity mini-comics which were packaged in the Action Star serial. And that's it for the toys. Uh, now, without further interruption, we're going to move on to the cartoon. The cartoon was a half-hour cartoon based on the toy line. There is two five-part miniseries in 1983 and 1984, and then they had the regular series in 1985 through 1986. Ron Friedman created the G.I. Joe animated series for television and wrote all four miniseries. The fourth miniseries was intended to be a feature film, but as noted, subsequently was released as a television miniseries instead because of production difficulties. Uh, it started out with... In 1983, there was the first one was called G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, a.k.a. also known as The Mass Device. Destro and Cobra Commander create a teleportation device called The Mass Device. Using satellites, G.I. Joe must create their own, but needs to collect three rare elements that power the device. The next one was called G.I. Joe, The Revenge of Cobra. This featured a device called the Weather Dominator. Uh, during its use... Uh, the Weather Dominator breaks into three pieces and is scattered across the world. G.I. Joe must recover the pieces before Cobra can. And then the G.I. Joe series started with the second season of Transformers. And at the end of each episode of G.I. Joe, there was a PSA with the closing tag, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Sorry, I love that. Um, in fact, I plan on playing the PSAs at the end of each episode. But the G.I. Joe cartoon wasn't tied to the comic book. Each, uh, the comic book and the cartoon universe each had its own separate continuity. Uh, the first episodes of the cartoon was the five episodes entitled G.I. Joe the Pyramid of Darkness. It was shown during prime time and then was broken into a weekly series. It focused on Cobra building the Pyramid of Darkness, which neutralizes all electrical power. Four giant control cubes are to be placed at key locations around the globe. Once the Joe's orbiting space station is seized, the cubes are activated and the pyramid is complete. The Joe's battle Cobra to destroy the pyramid and find the terrorist organization's secret headquarters. Uh, season 2 featured Sergeant Slaughter and started with the uh, five episodes little uh, movie called Arise, Serpento Arise. In that one, Dr. Mindbender has a dream to create the perfect leader to replace Cobra Commander. He takes the DNA of historical ruthless figures and merges them into one being to become the new Cobra leader. Uh, G.I. Joe tries to stop this, but fails, and Serpentor is created. Uh, while they were doing so, uh, one of the DNA strands they were going to use was Sun, Sun Tzu. But G.I. Joe did stop him from getting that, so they ended up using Sergeant Slaughter instead. In the comic, they used uh, Storm Shadow instead of Slaughter. However, in the cartoon, Sergeant Slaughter manages to prevent this, and Mindbender later remarks that without the military discipline that his creation would have inherited from Sun Tzu or Slaughter, his maniacal drive for conquest has no counterbalance. Partly due to the lack of discipline exhibited by Serpentor, the Joes are able to thwart this bid for world domination. Upon his defeat, Serpentor intends to leave Cobra Commander for dead. However, the Commander convinces Serpentor to spare his life, convincing him that he will make an excellent scapegoat for any of his failures. The G.I. Joe team vows to continue to defend the world from the threat of Cobra, even as their enemy now has a powerful new leader. COBRA! Sunbow slash Marvel's G.I. Joe A Real American Hero series ended on November the 20th, 1986, after 95 episodes. Despite G.I. Joe's success, no other studio offered to produce new, a new season until 1989, when Dick, D.I.C., took over. Uh, before that, though, in 1987, they had G.I. Joe the Movie. Uh, it was a direct-to-video, which came out on April the 20th, 1987. G.I. Joe the Movie was intended as a theatrical release to be closely followed by the Transformers the movie. However, the G.I. Joe film encountered unexpected production delays which allowed Transformers to come first. Due to poor box office performance, the Transformers film and then My Little Pony film, G.I. Joe was relegated to the direct-to-video status 
before later being split into a five-part miniseries for TV syndication. In G.I. Joe the movie, it introduced a, uh, a group called Cobra Law. Uh, apparently, that wasn't their original name. That was just the... Well, I guess it was their original name, but it wasn't, it wasn't intended to be their name. That was just a placeholder that, that Marvel or Sunbeam, whoever was doing the movie, was using. But Hasbro heard about it, and they loved the name. So they kept the name Cobra Law. Uh, so as I said, it introduced Cobra Law and the origin of Cobra Commander. Cobra Law's leader was a, uh, I'm going to call him a gentleman, named Gobulus, who was played by, or voiced by, Burgess Meredith. Uh, you may know him as the Penguin from the old 60s Batman show. Uh, G.I. Joe was working on something called the BET. No, it's not Black Entertainment Television. At the time, it was called, it stood for Broadcast Energy Transmitter. There was also new G.I. Joes introduced, called the Rawhides, which was Jinx, Law & Order, Big Lob, Tunnel Rat, Chuckles, and Lieutenant Falcon, which was uh, D Duke's brother, voiced by the uh, popular, at the time, Don Johnson. Out of all these characters I just mentioned, I believe Big Lob was the only one that didn't actually have a uh, action figure created for him. The rest of them had action figures. Uh, then there was Sergeant, Sergeant Slaughter's Renegades, which consisted of Mercer, a former Viper, Red Dog, a Samoan football player banned for excessive roughness, and Taurus, a former circus acrobat. Uh, during the show, just to give spoilers for a uh, movie that's like 30 years old, Cobra Commander was turned into the snake during the movie. Uh, the BT explodes, destroying Cobra Law. Originally, Duke was supposed to die. Serpentor uh, throws one of the snakes at him and hits him in the chest, and he was supposed to die in the movie. But, as I said previously, the Transformers movie was released. And in that, again, spoilers for another movie that's 30 years old, uh, in Transformers the movie, Optimus Promise... Optimus Promise? Try that again. Optimus Prime died. Uh, due to severe backlash, it caused Hasbro to change their mind and rewrote the movie so that Duke, instead of dying, went to a, was injured and he woke up at the end. Originally, at the end of the film, right before the final battle, they are going to have a funeral for Duke. But again, they decided not to. They pulled it out. Duke ended up living. Uh, then, as I said, in 1989, uh, DIC Entertainment produced a second G.I. Joe series, starting with a five-part miniseries titled Operation Dragonfire. And then a regular series was broadcast in 1990. Uh, just to make a little comment real quick, I remember the Dragonfire cartoon, but I don't remember seeing anything after that. So I don't know if it just didn't air in my area, or if I missed it, or what happened, but... As in the past, newer characters with action figures on sale at the time took the spotlight from older and more established ones. As a result, most of the Sunbow series cast was retired in favor of new ones. Some, like General Hawk, Duke, Scarlet Snake Eyes, were retained as they also had new figure out figures out, but they were joined by new creations like Captain Gridiron, Ambush, Pathfinder, Bulletproof, and Sky Patrol. Likewise, Cobra Commander and Destro were joined by Cesspool, Metalhead, Guanahide, and a new assortment of colorful Viper troops. In the, last, in the first few episodes, which serves as a link to the old cartoon continuity, some Sumbo-era characters, such as Serpentor and Sergeant Slaughter, did appear briefly. Serpentor was written out while Slaughter was eventually retired after a 1990-1991 WWF storyline in which his wrestling character turned traitor during the first Gulf War. He was thus disassociated from the entire G.I. Joe franchise. However, this Joe series was not long for syndication, as it only lasted two seasons and about 44 episodes. Uh, in the next few years, various cartoon tie-ins to the G.I. Joe franchise were released that had no bearing on the G.I. Joe, a real American hero mythology. Former executive in charge of production, Lee Gunther's new studio, Gunther Wall Productions, was contracted and created a new series entitled G.I. Joe Extreme. Extreme! 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 In 1996, featuring new characters and villains. It was the 90s. Of course it was G.I. Joe Extreme. As with the 85 and 90 series, this series was distributed by Clasker Television. With the exception of a fleeting appearance by Cobra Commander, Hawk, and Lady J, the series jettisoned past Joe cartoon history and took a new life of its own. Then, in 2003, there was a CGI direct-to-video cartoon called 
Spy Troopers. 2004 saw Valor vs. Venom. And then came G.I. Joe Sigma-6. This was an anime-based cartoon. I remember seeing this. Was not impressed at all. Just my own little two cents. I didn't care for it, and it didn't last very long. And then, in November of 20... November 26... Try that again, kids. Then, in November the 26th of 2010, through July the 23rd of 2011, there was a new G.I. Joe cartoon called G.I. Joe Renegades. This lasted 26 episodes. It was a group of young Joes are forced to become fugitives after a spy mission goes horribly wrong that involves the explosion of Cobra's Industries Pharmaceuticals, now branded as renegades by the media for crimes they didn't commit, they're forced to fight. Pursued by the military, Flint, and Cobra mercenaries, they must use all their skills to prove their innocence and expose the true face of Cobra Industries and its mysterious leaders, Adam Ducobre. In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. Yes, this premise did sound a lot like the uh, A-Team. Here's the actual intro to the uh, G.I. Joe Renegades show. Accused of a crime they didn't commit, a ragtag band of fugitives fights a covert battle to clear their names and expose the insidious enemy that is Cobra. Some call them outlaws. Some call them heroes. But these determined men and women think of themselves only as ordinary Joes. And this is their story. Yeah, if you ask me, it's very, very similar to uh, the A-Team. But... Having said that, it was an interesting show. The artwork, art style got a little getting used to. It was kind of, I don't know if it was anime-ish or what it was, but it got a little getting used to, but I finally got used to it, and then they canceled the show. Ah, oh well. The team was made up of Duke, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, Roadblock, Tunnel Rat, and later on they added Ripcord and Breaker, and they had a lot of other Joes you're familiar with coming as guest stars. Uh, and somewhere along the ways, the series just vanished. It didn't really end, per se. Uh, I thought it was coming back for a new season, and we never heard from it again. So that's the uh, cartoons for G.I. Joe. Next, we'll talk about the movies. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Van, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... Hello, I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. And we do the Quantum Leap Podcast. It can be found at QuantumLeapPodcast.com and also on iTunes. We are starting at the beginning of Quantum Leap and going through all the episodes. This is my first time watching and I'll be seeing them during their original run. In each podcast, we talk about the overall thoughts of each episode. We do an episode recap if you haven't seen them in a while, just to refresh your memory. And then we do a detailed plot discussion. And we also have some great interviews. 
Scott Bakula, I remember being very, very uh, generous of spirit and very, very kind to his fellow actors. It was my first kiss ever, ever. So I, I am getting to kiss Scott Bakula on screen. And everybody in, involved with it was just terrific. And I'm always amazed that people come up to me and remember that episode and can quote things from it that I can't even quote. So if you're a leaper, it'd be great if you came and joined us. And if you've never heard of Quantum Leap, it's maybe a good time to start watching it because you have a podcast to go along with it. So please give our podcast a listen and hopefully you like us and stick around. Go to quantumleappodcast.com to listen to new episodes. Next up, let's talk about G.I. Joe the movies. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read, read a recap of them from IMDb. Um, the first one up is G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra from 2009. Uh, the storyline, two soldiers stationed in Krakazan, Captain Duke Hauser and his partner Ripcord, are ordered to transport special warheads created by Mars, M-A-R-S, an arms manufacturer controlled by James McCullen. When they're attacked by thieves, led by Anastasia de Cobre, a.k.a. the Baroness, whom Duke has a history, they are saved by a top-secret international special forces unit known as G.I. Joe. The leader of G.I. Joe, General Abernathy, or Hawk, is on the trail of the thieves. Nevo organization determined to take over the world. Sorry. Uh, Nevo organization called Cobra. While Duke and Ripcord train to join the Joes, McCullen, a.k.a. Destro, is secretly working for Cobra to, and plotting to capture his metal-eating nanomite warheads. Duke and Ripcord, with help from Heavy Duty, Snake Eyes, and the rest of the Joes, must prove that they are real American heroes by stopping the launch of these warheads before before Cobra can use them to take over the world. Yo, Joe! Uh, this was followed by a sequel in 2013, actually should have been 2012, but for some reason it was delayed, uh, called G.I. Joe Retaliation. Again, the storyline synopsis from IMDb. The G.I. Joe team is framed for crimes against the country by Zartan, disguised as the president. And Cobra Commander has all the world leaders under his influence, with their advanced warheads headed towards innocent populaces around the world. Outnumbered and outgunned, the surviving team members form a plan with their original leader, General Joseph Colton, the original G.I. Joe, to rescue the president and face off Cobra Commander, his accomplices, and the world leaders. Yo, Joe! And knowing is half the battle. And that was the last G.I. Joe move to be released. Uh, there are rumors of a G.I. Joe 3 in the works. Uh, notes I found on this. On April the 1st, 2013, reports surfaced that there will be a third G.I. Joe film, and it will be likely in 3D. The studio announced that Chu will return to direct the third film, while at the 23, 23, 2013 San Diego Comic Con, Chu talked about bringing Scarlet back in the next film. The writers of the second film are also thinking about bringing back the Baroness in the sequel. Johnson is interested in returning as Roadblock for the sequel, and Park has talked about a possible return as Snake Eyes, and also including his pet, Wolf Timber. Yes, that'd be so cool. Uh, Bonaventura told Beijing News that he hoped that Johnson and Willis would return. Uh, the script is still in the writing stage, and that they are considering adding a third important role. On September 10, 2013, Chu was confirmed to direct the film, along with writer Evan Doherty, who wrote Snow White and the Huntsman, Divergent, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, to pen the film script. In December 5, 2013, Doherty talked about writing the film script and his feelings about Duke being killed, but Chu told MTV that Tatum may return as Duke in the sequel. Darn. That's one thing I really don't want. I don't care for Tatum. If they, I like Duke. I don't care for Chan, Chanum Tatum. Uh, on April the 2nd, 2014, in an interview with Collider, Johnson believes that Chu may not return to direct due to working on the live-action Gem movie, but they may find another director for the film. It is revealed that the third film will have a 2016 release date, at this point anyways. On June 23, 2014, Bonaventura told Collider in an interview that their meeting with the new directors and filming may start in early 2015. On July 1st, 2014, Variety reports that Jonathan Lemkin will write the script for the film and will focus on Roadblock with Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, returning. Then in November of 2014, the studio was in talks with Martin Campbell and DJ Caruso to direct the third film. On February 5th, 2015, Film Divider reported that the twins, Tomax and Zamots, and Max Tracker from the TV series Mask will be appearing. 
On April 2nd, 2015, the studio hired, hired Aaron Berg to write the film and DJ Caruso to direct. So we'll see where it goes from there. That's the last we've heard. Also regarding a G.I. Joe Transformers crossover, on March the 28th, 2013, during the release of G.I. Joe Retaliation, producer Lorenzo D. Bonaventura announced that he is open to doing a G.I. Joe Transformers crossover. On July the 26th, 2013, G.I. Joe Retaliation director John M. Chu stated that he is also interested in directing a crossover film. D. Bonaventura stated on June 23, 2014, that a crossover was not likely to happen. However, he later stated that a crossover was still a possibility. I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I haven't been really happy with the Transformers film, so we'll see. And that about wraps up all the G.I. Joe coverage. I've talked about the comics, the toys, the uh, movies, the TV show. Final thing I'm going to talk about here, why G.I. Joe? Why are you doing this podcast on G.I. Joe, Brotherhead? Well, you see, G.I. Joe has, I don't know, it's, it's I like G.I. Joe. I like the, uh, the cartoons back in the mid-80s, being a child of the 70s, early 80s. I, I grew up on Star Wars. Uh, I had most of the Star Wars figures from the first two movies. And I even watched the G.I. Joe cartoon when it came out in 83, uh, but I didn't get the figures, didn't read the, I wasn't buying comics at the time. And then in 84, as I've talked about on my Head Speaks podcast, uh, our family had a tragic house fire. I'm not going to go into details about that here. If you want to hear more about it, check out some of my Headcast Speaks. Head Speaks Headcast. And uh, in one of those episodes, I go into more detail about that. But anyways, after the house fire, I lost all my Star Wars figures. Um... And I just collected other toys. I mean, I didn't really, wasn't really into anything. I, I did, again, I watched the G.I. Joe cartoons. Uh, I, I, I liked the G.I. Joe cartoons. And then in the summer of 86, I believe it was, I went back east with my grandparents. And my cousin Kyle back there, he had a couple of G.I. Joe comics. He had a bunch of the figures. So, you know, back there, I'd hang out with him for a while. We'd play with them. It was fun, so I got back, and I started buying the G.I. Joe toys. So I was getting the toys, I'd watch the cartoons, and then around January, February of 1987, I was with my mother in uh, Fresno, California, and we were eating at our little restaurants. I got done eating early than everyone else, so I went next door to, I think it was a Thrifties, like right attached to the little diner. So we went next door to look, and as I'm looking around, I look at the comic book section, and on the stand, I see G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue number 58. The title was Desperate Moves, written by Larry Hama, penciled by Todd, Todd Willingham. And the cover had uh, a picture of somebody in a bed, some brown-haired person with an eye patch, a ma- an oxygen max on. And in front of him stands uh, some guy in a battle armor with the Cobra insignia on, his, on the forehead. I don't know, I kind of like the act, the, the battle armor figure there. But he got his arm raised like, you know, I'm here. And it says, Cobra Commander, reborn. Again, having bought the toys, having enjoyed the cartoons. Cobra Commander, reborn? What the heck? Huh. So I didn't know who the, the person in the back of the, in that bed was. Was it Cobra Commander and this, he's now he's been reborn in this battle armor or what? I was enthralled by it. So I picked it up. I'm not going to spoil anything about that issue right now, but I read it, and I loved it. Also around this time, I forget if it was right before or right after, Kmart uh, used to have bags of comics. They'd bag up like three or four comics in a bag and sell them for a cheap price. Well, in that bag, I was able to pick up issue 51, 53, and 55. Uh, 51 had a picture of the Dreadnoughts on the Thunder Machine, 53 had a uh, close-up of Snake Eyes with his gun. And 55 was the one that really caught my interest wanted me to buy that package. It, the take, cover said Unmaskings, and it showed Cobra Commander, Destro, and Snake Eyes pulling their masks off. I, I saw that, and I'm like, wow! So, you know, I definitely had to buy that one also. Uh, those are my first G.I. Joe comics. I read them. I thoroughly enjoyed them. Uh, they, they were great. So... I ended up going finding a comic shop in Merced, California. I forget which the first one. I think it was Cop Comics. 
and Merced. Actually, it may have been Bobby's Comics at the time still. And I started finding these back issues. I also went to uh, Lonnie's Comics, Emerset, a couple plays in Fresno. And I started buying back issues of G.I. Joe. Well, shortly thereafter, I also, as I watched the G.I. Joe cartoon, I'd also watched the Transformers cartoon. Well, I, I believe it was on the newsstand, I saw a comic... Again, this was around March or so, because that's when it was released, March of 1987. There was a comic called Transformers Headmasters. And that was where I introduced the new type of Transformers, where the heads would come off and they become robots themselves. So I picked up that Fortune miniseries. And when that series ended, it led into the regular Transformers book. So I had to start picking up that book. So again, as I'm going to the comic shop looking for back issues of G.I. Joe, I'm also looking for back issues of Transformers. Uh, one thing led to another. I started picking up Spider-Man. I started picking up Batman. I started picking up Detective Comics. I started picking up this one and this one. And pretty soon, I, I was enthralled, and I'm the comic geek I am today. And that all started from G.I. Joe number 58, I would have to say. Because if I hadn't bought that one, it may have not led me into buying all these other comics and becoming the giant comic geek I am today. So, so I found it only fitting that I do a podcast on G.I. Joe. I had found a G.I. Joe podcast and started listening to it here not too long ago. It started a couple years back. I found it. I called the back episodes of it and listened to them. It was a pretty good show covering the G.I. Joe comics and talked about the toys because they're big toy fans. But then I noticed that, you know, they're, they were doing like, they were doing it on a regular basis, and they started doing like a couple times a year, and then they had one a year, and then they haven't done anything for the last couple of years. So I decided at this point, you know what? G.I. Joe needs a podcast. G.I. Joe demands a podcast. This is the G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. And we are on Facebook. We can be located at facebook.com slash G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. That's all lowercase of no spaces. And even though this is our premiere episode, and we're just set up, we've already got some Facebook likes. I'm going to go read off that list of names. Uh, we have Andy Capellish, J. David Weeder, the Irredeemable Shag, as he likes to call himself, uh, Professor Alan Middleton, Gene Hendricks, our buddy from over at the Hammer Strikes and Comic Book Fight Club, uh, Chris Tyler, David Sobko, and the last two gentlemen I'm going to speak of is Kyle Benning and Ryan Daly. I saved those two for last because hopefully starting next month, or the first premiere episode, uh, they will be my reoccurring guest hosts. If all goes well, knock on wood. But that's it for Facebook. Uh, you too can go to Facebook and leave us a message or like us or whatever you want to do. Uh, and be sure to join me and my co-host Mr. Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning here every month for a new exciting installment of G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Uh, let us know what you like and don't like. Uh, just so you know that this headcast will be about the G.I. Joe, a real American comic book series. We'll probably touch on the toys, some of the other Joe books, the TV shows, and the movies. But our primary focus will be on the Marvel and IDW comic book series. So be sure to write, us, write in and let us know what you're thinking. We can be reached at gijoe at headspeaks.com. Uh, you can write in, you can send us an MP3 with your thoughts, and I'll play it on the air. Uh, just let us what you think. Uh, we can also be found at our blog at headspeaks.com. Just click on Headcasts, and then click on G.I. Joe. Come talk to us, let us know. Uh, we can also be found monthly on iTunes, Stitcher, and again at Headspeaks, I'll be having a, uh, a player on there for the radio. You can download the episodes from my website. Um, but again, let us know what you guys think. We're doing this because we enjoy talking about G.I. Joe, but it really helps if you guys let us know what you think. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, write back to us. Interact with us, guys. But I guess that's it until our next month with our fabulous first episode of G.I. Joe, where I introduce my co-hosts, and we talk about G.I. Joe, issue number one. In the meantime, I can be found on my other two podcasts, Head Speaks, where I talk about comics, geeky things, things that annoy me, uh, whatever crosses my mind, and Task Force X, 
while I look at John Ostringer's Suicide Squad, and soon I'll be looking at Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate Comics from DC Comics in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, both those are available monthly, both available on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, at my website, headspeaks.com, the same place you can find G.I. Joe. Uh, just remember, kids, until next month when we cover the fantastic first issue of G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. Yo, Joe! Look at all the people! Billy, what's the matter? I... I... Billy! My friend passed out! Help me get him up! Never lift the head of a person who's fainted! Airtight! Keep him flat and raise his legs. Now loosen his clothes and use a wet cloth. What happened? You passed out. Remember, if someone faints... Never lift their head! You got it! Now we know! And knowing's half the battle. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe! A Real American Headcast is available monthly on iTunes, Stitcher, and at headspeaks.com. All characters and stories are owned and trademarked by the respective owners. We claim no ownership other than our opinions. All audio and images are used for entertainment purposes and falls under fair use. We make no money from this headcast. For more of the monthly G.I. Joe, check out the IDW series. For the stories we're covering, look for the comics and trade paperbacks. Let us know what you think. Send us an email letting us know your thoughts. Joe's dismissed.